0: If you have a Bible, you can grab it and make your way right there where Amy was just reading from, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one around you. It's all good. And it's on page 995. Page 995 in the black hardback Bibles around you, you can find 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 13. While you're getting there, what we're doing is we are in week 4 of a 12-week series through 2 Timothy, and the way we've been approaching this is kind of, I mean, the the book reads very much like a job description for the Christian. And so just as with any job description, you have, you know, responsibilities include this and this and this and this and this, this, right? And so that's how we've been approaching the book. And so last week we looked at the job description or the responsibility that, you know, that that this job description includes of, of discipleship. And we talked about how, you know, the Christian life is the discipled life and it is the discipling life. So the responsibility was discipleship. The responsibility that we're going to be looking at this week is the responsibility of evangelism. Okay, of, of evangelism. And to be like completely honest and straight, the, the text is not, com- it's not only about evangelism. It's much more broad than that. But evangelism very much is an application of this text. And so that's kind of how we're going to approach it this morning. All right. But to get us started, let, let me just kind of do this for a minute. I don't know how many of you have seen Avengers Endgame yet. I am not going to give away spoilers, all right? But I will say it is epic, okay? And if you can, and if, you know, whatever you see with your children, if they're old enough or not, you need to go see this movie. It is epic, all right? Now, the whole reason I did that was not... I mean, what I just did, like if I'm going to point out what it is, almost evangelism. Because what I was doing is I was sharing with you and I was teaching you about your need to go see this movie. And I was doing that with an aim to persuade you to do that. Okay, that is basically what evangelism is, except we're not dealing with a Marvel movie. We're dealing with eternal life and death. And that's what evangelism is. And so if you want to write down kind of a working definition, I love Max Stiles' uh, definition because it's so short. And his definition is this. Evangelism is teaching the gospel, okay, which is the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, by which or through which we can have salvation through faith in what he's done, all right? Evangelism is teaching the gospel with an aim to persuade. Okay, it's teaching the gospel with an aim to persuade. All right, and we're persuading others to also trust this good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's, that's what evangelism is. And friends, it's part of the responsibilities include job description of a Christian. Of every single follower of Christ. But sometimes we'll try to excuse ourselves from this responsibility by saying something silly like, but evangelism is not my gift. Friend, in all honesty, evangelism is... Not most people's gift. Most people develop the discipline of evangelism through practice and through just that word, through discipline. Now, are there those who are especially gifted by God to this? Yes. And does everybody have that uh, special gifting? No. But we are all called by God to share. We may not all have the Ephesians chapter 4, you know, um, gift as an evangelist, but we are, every single Christian, every single follower of Christ called to evangelism. Matthew 28, go make disciples. Acts 1, you will be my witnesses. 2 Corinthians 5, you've been given this ministry of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for Christ. This is given to every single Christ follower. And so, responsibilities include of a Christian evangelism based not on gifting but on faithfulness. But evangelism is hard, is it not? It can be really scary, it can be intimidating, it can be risky. Paul's in chains, you can lose a job, it can be awkward. And it's super easy for guilt over our lack of evangelism or discouragement in the midst of our evangelism as we are repeatedly rejected. It's really easy for guilt and discouragement to set in. And for instance, discouragement is one of Satan's most... Prevalent and favorite flaming arrows, as Ephesians 6 puts it, to shoot at our heads. And discourage us in our evangelism because he wants to discourage us into silence. But friends, through the word of God this morning, I want to encourage you to speaking. Emphasis on encourage. Encourage. And I want this morning to be a drive-by guilting. I want to encourage you. Discouragement over our lack of evangelism is swirling around us. I feel it. You feel it. So I want to encourage us into speaking. And I want to do this by just reminding us of some key truths that are here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. There's going to be three of them. The last one's going to have two points, all right, or two parts, an A and a B. And so let's just go ahead and dive into it. And the first one is this. The focus of evangelism is Jesus. Okay, the focus of evangelism is Jesus, not other people. It's Jesus. We'll okay, get verse 8 again. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. That my gospel. Paul went from being a terrorist at one point to a pastor, a preacher, a missiologist. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. And so again, the focus of evangelism is Jesus. Okay, Evangelism is not the end. Okay, It's not the goal. Our goal is not evangelism. Evangelism is a means to an end. It is a means to a goal. The goal is worship and magnification of God. That's the goal. The goal is that God would be worshiped, that we would value Him as supreme. And so the reason we lead others to worship and enjoy God the reason evangelism exists is because worship doesn't. There are people who don't worship Jesus and so evangelism exists so that they might. And so as John Piper puts it, worship is ultimate, not evangelism, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless Millions or billions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, evangelism will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And so we must continually remember that the focus of evangelism is Jesus, that Jesus would be praised because he is worthy. And friends, when we do that, when we we see Jesus for who he really is, his worth-ship, our fear of others will dissipate in his wake. As we learn to fear him reverentially and not fear others. And so to help us see Jesus as who he is, Paul gives us two specific ways to remember him. Very much focused on his person, who he is, and his work, what he came to do, okay? And so as it relates to who he is, we're going to see that he's fully God and he's fully man. So look at verse 8 again. It says that he is descended from David, risen from the dead and the offspring of David, okay? He's descended from David, which implies that he's descended from David, that he's the offspring of David. This implies his humanity in just the descent from King David. He, King David is one of his ancestors. Jesus is human. But it also says he's risen from the dead, which shows his divinity and that God, you know, that he is God because as Jesus himself puts it in John chapter 10, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. And then just a few verses later, I and the father are one. And so we focus on Jesus and we remember him for who he is. He's fully God. He's fully man. But these words descended from David and Risen from the dead also speak to what he's done. Not just his person, but also his work. Because risen from the dead, it shows us that he died for our sins and was raised to prove the efficacy or the sufficiency or invented word here, satisfactoriness of his substitutionary atonement. That the Father accepted Jesus' substitutionary atonement for our sins and credited to our account Jesus' own righteousness. And the resurrection validates this. And so, um, think of it kind of this way. Some of you, you'll, go, you'll drive downtown and you'll park... Um, and maybe you're going to go call on a customer or something like that. Before I went into ministry, we lived in North Carolina when I was in seminary, and, and I would go call on customers trying to uh, get them to spec some of the products that, that I repped on you know, some of the jobs they were, they were laying out. And so I'd call, and went, I, you know, I'd get a parking ticket or whatever, and I'd take it in, and I would say, hey, can you validate this? So I wanted that parking ticket validated so that I did not have to pay for my parking, Right? The resurrection validates that Jesus has saved us so that we don't have to pay for our sins. That's what it does. The resurrection validates all of that. But the work of Jesus isn't only in what He did to save us in His resurrection that validates it, but also in what He's doing in bringing in His kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. Because that phrase descended from David, it is talking about kingship. We spent the whole winter talking about 1 and 2 Samuel and these kings are terrible. We need a better king and a better king has come. He's inaugurated his kingdom, but it's coming in its fullness when Christ cracks the skies and returns, ushering in the new heavens and the new earth. And so putting these two phrases together as it relates to Christ's work, it shows us his double role as Savior, risen from the dead, and King, offspring of David. And so as we carry on this responsibility of our job description as a Christian to evangelize, we want to remember that Jesus, not man, is ultimate. And that's why we evangelize. And we want to remember who Jesus is and what he's done. So that our fear will dissipate and our courage to share will increase. And so stay focused on Jesus. I mean, look at these words He's alive and He will reign forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so no matter what someone does to you, you do not need to be afraid. And when your tank in evangelism grows empty, remember that the tomb is empty, but the throne is occupied. And so share. A lofty vision of the person and work of Christ is what will keep us consistently faithful in our evangelism. And so the focus of evangelism is Jesus. That's number one. Number two, a requirement in evangelism is endurance. A requirement in evangelism is endurance. Look at verse 8 again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, But the word of God is not bound. We'll come back to that. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so again, a requirement of evangelism is endurance. I mean, straight up, Paul is in jail here. Okay, he's on literal death row. He dies at the hands of Nero. And if you read through the book of Acts prior to all this, you'll see that he's beaten, he's stoned, he's constantly jailed, he's thrown out of cities, he's shipwrecked. One day he's actually shipwrecked, washes up on shore, gets bit by a a viper, like that's a bad day. (laughs) He's not living his best life now, right? I guess he doesn't have enough faith to speak into existence. I'm I'm about to go off, so I'm just going to call time out. But he endured through the power of the Holy Spirit, through all of those things. He endured. And in the midst of our evangelism, we are also called to press on because it is hard. And it's easy, like we said at the beginning, to grow discouraged into silence. Especially when we define success in evangelism as seeing people converted. Now, do we hope for that? Yeah. Do we pray for that? Absolutely. But is that how we define success? No. Success in evangelism is sharing the gospel. God's the one who saves, not you. So you do your part and let God do His part. So just think about this. Imagine there's a mailman, right? And he brings the mail to you or every day, or we won't use you. He just brings the letter to folks every day and... People open it up and they don't like what they read. And the, evan- the, 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 the mailman grows extremely discouraged because he brings the mail, they open it up and they don't like what is inside the letter. Is it the mailman's job to ensure that they like what is inside the letter? And we might like if he does that, but is it his job? It's not his job. No, his job is just to deliver the letter. And it's the same thing with us. That's evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the message. It's delivering the message. Now, we don't want to do so as some uppity, you know, uh, self-righteous person, right? We don't want to be unchristlike like in that. But our goal, it's not up to us to ensure that people like the contents of the gospel. It is up to us to share the gospel. But because of this, common misunderstanding of our role in evangelism, that we think we not only have to deliver the letter, but to be successful in that, we also need to ensure that people like the contents inside. Because of this misunderstanding, it often leads to discouragement where we just stop doing it because we put far, 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 far too much emphasis on our ability or inability to share, than we do on God's ability to save. And so if we would just share, and trust Christ with the rest, that's what he's asking us to do. That's it. And and, and keep in mind also just, how the church works in this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so as Charles Bridges puts it, the seed might lie under the earth until we do. And then spring up. And so we evangelize with a long-term view in mind. It might not be immediate. It might be decades before you see fruit in that. But that doesn't mean you're not Being faithful. Faithfulness is defined as speaking. Okay. And so press on. Press on. We don't know what God's going to do. We just do our part. And if we are rejected like Jesus so often was. We've been faithful and we stay at it. And we trust that God will be true to his promises. We just keep on enduring. Verse 11, the saying is trustworthy and true. If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. And so we stay at it. We remember God's promises. But in this talk of endurance, let me just encourage parents for a second. Especially parents maybe of young children. Children. I've got four kids in school, kindergarten, fourth grade, i got to think, fourth grade, sixth grade, eighth grade. So this uh, new term this year, May-Cimber, have y'all heard that? The the May-Cimber, it's like, you know, December is the end of the year and there's always all kinds of stuff. Well, May-Cimber, is like that, I can't, I live at Mill Creek right now with all the things that they have going on. It is no joke. There is so much stuff going on. So much stuff going on. It's May Simbers, no joke. But I get it. Like when you have young ones, you are unbelievably busy. You've got this, you've got that. You get home at the end of the day, you're exhausted and it's all you can do to you know, help the kids with homework, feed them, make sure they stay alive, get them to bed, right? And then you collapse exhausted. And so now, I'm standing up here telling you, you need to evangelize others. And you're like, where am I going to find time in my life to evangelize lost people? The front yard of evangelism, as one guy put it, is in your house, parents. One of the most fundamental means of advancing the gospel... It's through your raising your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and laying all kinds of kindling around them, praying and begging God to ignite it and light it on fire in their hearts. And so parents, be encouraged. It's not that you you are not on the quote-unquote front lines of ministry where all of these things are happening and as Isaac Adam was talking about, you're, evangel- you know, you're discipling this person and this person this person. You're having 78 barbecues at your house, inviting lost people to come over so you can build relationships with them so that you might share the gospel with them. Those are great things. If you're doing that, that's great. Keep it up. Awesome. Way to go. But parents, I think too often we think that we've been pulled off the front lines when in fact mom dad you are on the front lines you are ongoingly witnessing to lost people that are smaller than you that's what you're doing you are ongoingly doing that and so be encouraged in that and press on in that hard work and endure in that hard work and listen for the rest of your life. Now I'm not saying, you know, well, I've got kids, so I don't have to worry about all this. No, 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 no. Actually, what happens a lot of times, seeing this in my own life through soccer and track and field is that your kids are bridges into relationships with others and other opportunities. And so be on the lookout for those and engage. But be encouraged, moms and dads. You are on the front lines. And it requires endurance. Lots of it. And similarly, outside the home, evangelism requires endurance. Continuing on, even when you're rejected. Continuing on. And dying to yourself and taking up your cross daily. But how can we endure like that? And why should we endure like that? You well, know, because Jesus is worth it. But number three this morning, we endure like that because the effectiveness of evangelism is sure. The effectiveness of evangelism is sure. It's guaranteed. And somebody's like, Joe, you just said we're going to be rejected, and so we must press on and endure. Yep. Absolutely. But we press on and we endure because while some will reject, others will believe. Like, absolutely, no doubt about it, they will. People will be saved as we evangelize. Absolutely. Guaranteed. Like, no doubt about it. Guaranteed. Some will be saved. Some will reject, yes. Some will be saved. Why is this guaranteed? Letter A. Here's your two-part deal. Letter A. Because the gospel is unstoppable. That's one reason. Because the gospel is unstoppable. Look at verse 8 again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Friends, the enemies of the gospel can put the speakers of the gospel in chains and bind them, but they cannot bind the gospel. It cannot be bound. It is unstoppable. And in fact, even when people try to enslave those who are speaking the gospel in places, all that does is serve to spread the advance of the gospel. This happened in Paul's own life in Philippians 1:12 during his first Roman imprisonment. He wrote this, I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so again, you remember these truths here. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Okay, He is alive and He is King and He cannot be stopped. He promised His word would not return void. He promised the gospel of this kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. So change or no chains, the word of God is not bound. And it cannot be defeated, only advanced by the suffering of His servants. And so even if, and this may seem far-fetched, but even if you have to sit in prison for the gospel, even if you've you know, ever felt... Beaten down and alone and wonder if the cause you've lived for was being defeated. Remember, the Word of God is not bound. can't be bound. The Gospel is unstoppable. It's uncontainable. God will build His kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's letter A of why we know the effectiveness of evangelism is sure. That's letter A. Letter B is this. God will redeem His people, the elect. God will redeem His people, the elect. He will. No doubt. Like, He's going to do that. Excuse me. Look at verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything. So here's this endurance again. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation also like along with me, me, Paul, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so God has a people. That's what elect means. He has a people and Ephesians one 4, he has chosen them before the foundation of the world. And so evangelism is sure because God will call his elect. As Jesus puts it, I will call my, that's possessive, flock. I mean, John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. They're my flock. I will call my flock. And so Jesus is saying that he has a a people that he will save, and he works through us to save them. And so that's why we can have confidence in sharing Christ. There are people who will respond. Okay, that's a foundation. But we've got to be careful now when we start handling weighty doctrines like election. And Paul shows us how right here. He guards us from two mistakes. One is the mistake of viewing God as if He's up in the heavens playing a game of duck-duck-damned with humanity. When we view God that way, rather than viewing Him as Jesus weeping over Jerusalem when they reject Him. Weeping over them. And so people with this wrong mistake will say things like, well, if there are people chosen before the foundation of the world, then why do we need to risk our lives, like Paul's doing here, to save them? Paul says the opposite of that. Right? He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus. See the certainty that there are elect people does not make me, Paul saying, stop preaching or stop suffering. Suffering it makes me confident that my preaching and my suffering will not be in vain. The elect will obtain salvation. Okay, but they will only do so by means of a gospel presentation. I mean, Romans chapter 10. Paul tells us that the only way people, the only way anyone is going to be saved is by hearing this news. That's the only way. And so we must tell this news. Let me straight up. In this room, all of us right now, everyone in this room who is a Christian, you would not be a Christian and know the love and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God if someone had not told you. Someone had to tell you. And some of you can think of the person who told you right now. For most of us, it's maybe not one person. It's a, it's a cumulative effect. That's how God usually works through different people speaking, speaking, speaking. And then finally, God ignites our hearts. We understand, we repent, we believe the gospel. But we have to speak the gospel. No one is saved if we are silent. Full stop on that. And so we can overemphasize God's electing purposes. But we can also underemphasize them at times and think... Well, if if Paul must preach and suffer in order to persuade others to believe in Jesus and be saved, then there can be no eternal eternal election. This is all just people's own choice. Which makes Jesus really nothing more than like a worried sixth grader at a dance, being a wallflower and just hoping someone please come ask me to dance. Which is not exactly the picture of the king of kings and lord of lords. Biting his nails all worried. Is someone going to pick me? Is someone going to pick me? And so Paul balances these two things so perfectly. Because you can go to extremes on both of these and get yourself in a bad place. And so Paul balances them so perfectly. He says, I endure everything. Like, I have a responsibility to do this. All right? And I endure everything for the sake of the elect. God does have a people, all right? And I do these things so that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, that God saves these people through our witness. And so our call to endure for the gospel does not mean one you know, d- does not mean no one has been chosen to believe it. It means we are God's instrument to save those who are. God has chosen people, and you, I, we are his instrument to save those people. And so let that embolden and encourage you. Jesus has sheep, they're already his, and he must bring them also, and they will listen to his voice. Which means no one is going to be beyond the reach of his arm. No one. No one's going to be beyond the reach of his arm if they are his people who he wants to call to himself. And so we cannot, this is one of the implications of this. We cannot think, therefore, that it's pointless to share the gospel with this person because there's no way they will ever believe. That is an unbelievably prideful statement. It's why did you believe? Why did I believe? Am I so much better than that person and and so I believed? That's pride. You responded, I respond. If you have responded, you responded because of God's kindness to you. And so evangelistic endurance, again, we have to share for people to be saved. That is how God saves people. And evangelistic endurance in sharing, that endurance is yoked to the sovereignty of God. It's His sovereignty that encourages us to stay with it. I mean, I think about Paul in Corinth. Corinth. Paul's being rejected. He's being thrown out. He's largely discouraged. And God comes to him and says, Hey, Paul, I have people in this city. Go on. And so Paul does. You read a couple of verses later. He winds up enduring for 18 months there and leading scores to salvation. And so knowing that God will stay true to his promise and will bring people to repentance and faith, like, it's going to happen. Friend, it's trust in that promise that produces evangelistic endurance in us. Trusting that God will accomplish His purpose, and His word will not return void. Okay, He will bring some to faith. And just as an aside, sometimes you'll hear this illustration that, like, There's an elect bus, and there's a non-elect bus, and the elect bus comes on, and all the elect people get on, and, you know, and there's a non-elect guy standing there, and he's saying, hey, I want to get on, I want to get on, and God's like, nope, you're not elect, you can't get on. That will never happen. God will save whosoever will believe. Full stop. Okay, whosoever will believe happened to be part of the elect in a way that we cannot fully fathom. But these setting up these little like let's let's not set up these little straw man arguments against one another let's let the bible be the bible let's let God be God let's let him be mysterious in some things and if the bible talks about whosoever will believe you know whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved that's in the bible so it's true and so our words like election and predestination They're in the bible so they are true and so where there's a problem with these and we don't fully understand it, it's not in the bible or in God it's in our little finite brains Brind is a combination of mind and brain. So. Yeah, you talk to Sarah, that happens all the time at the house. I combine two words. <clears throat> happens in our brines. But yeah, some of these things are weighty, very weighty, very difficult. But let them encourage us. There, will, there is a purpose to your evangelism. And as you do it, people will be saved. They will. Now, we don't know who those people are. So we share with everybody we can and let God handle the rest. We do our job of delivering the message and allowing God to do the rest. And so I think it's very similar to... How many of you have seen that movie, uh, Sweet Home Alabama? It came out a long time ago. It's got Nashville native Reese Witherspoon in it. If you haven't seen it, what happens in it is there's... Obviously, there's a love story, Right? And, and so there's this one guy and what he does, he makes his living by like crazy um, glass sculpt- sculptures. And so what he does, he, he, he takes and puts all these like fence posts uh, in the sand around a, I don't know if it's a lake or if it's, you know, a bay or what, but and puts all these fence posts in the sand in the midst of an electrical storm Right? And he puts all of these out there and he, he wants electricity, he wants lightning to strike one of them, burn the sand and it turns the sand into glass because of the heat. And it's a really, you know, crazy looking glass, really neat, right? Evangelism is very much like that. We are called to put all those fence posts in the sand. And just as that guy does, the more fence posts he puts out, the more glass he's probably going to get back. But he does not know which fence post it's going to strike. But he knows the more he puts out there, the more likelihood that lightning is going to fall and strike one of them. And it's the same with our evangelism. We evangelize, we do our part, and we trust God to be the lightning that ignites someone's heart at some point and some time. In, you know, according to his purposes and his kindness and his grace and his mercy. That's what our call is as, you know, in evangelism. And so just really practically, in evangelism, start with the people closest to you. So who's close to you and you have not shared the gospel with? You haven't started, and I'm not saying the gospel is, you know, uh, here here, here you go, you know, God, man, Christ's response, take it or leave it, good, I'm never going to talk to you about that again. That's, that's not the gospel. Right? You continue talking about, you know, we're sinners, all of us are sinners, God's holy, so, you know, we cannot approach Him on our own because we are sinners. There's this gap that can't be overcome. But Jesus has made a way... To make us right with God by paying for our sins and by giving us His righteousness that makes us holy and blameless before God, not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus did. And through faith in that, we can be saved, right? And you just continually, but practically, like just start with the people closest to you. Who is close to you and you haven't shared the gospel with? Start there. You know, but I, Joe, I don't, I don't know how. That's okay. It is. You talk to an elder, we'll be glad to help you with that. I'd be glad to help you with that, but it's, it's a whole lot easier than you think. For one, just read, see if they'll read the Bible with you and talk about it. The Word's powerful. God saves through it. Read the Bible. If they ask you a question that you can't answer, tell them, I can't answer that. I don't know. Be honest. I'll get back to you. And then invite people to church. It's another like low-hanging fruit. Constantly do this. Constantly, constantly, constantly. Begin just by working through God's normal means of grace. The gathering of His people and reading His Word. That's a very easy place to start with those that you are in close proximity to. And pray. Pray about this. Peter Billingsley says, People who pray about their evangelism... And pray for people to come to Christ. Like specific people. Like you're praying about that consistently. It's part of your prayers daily. Hourly. People who do that. like You're probably going to share the gospel with them. And those who don't probably won't share the gospel. And as you pray for them... God's going to be working in their hearts and lives. So pray. Pray affects things. But friends, what I want you to walk out of here this morning with is just being encouraged. God has entrusted to you and I a ministry of reconciliation. Yes, it's a job description. Yes, responsibilities include evangelism. But it's also a gift He's given to you. A gift to help be part of this global, eternal work that he's doing. That calls people out of spiritual death and brings them into spiritual life. And he's given this gift to you. And there's joy in knowing that you are partnering with God in something that's going to go far beyond you. And have ripple effects through all of eternity. And so if you're already living a lifestyle of evangelism, dear friend, press on. Press on, endure, keep going. Parents, press on, endure, keep going. And if you are not yet living a lifestyle of evangelism, press start. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, we don't understand why you would, entrust, um, you would entrust us with this message to deliver to others that they may repent and believe the gospel. It seems so odd to give it to us. We are There's nothing special in us. And yet you have. You've seen fit as a gift of grace and kindness to do this. And so, Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to endure in this. And help us to have confidence that you will save some people. You absolutely will. And, Father, let us rest even in our tension over this. Of of how can that be true if this is not true? How can election be true, but also... like only going to be saved if we share. And if we don't share, people won't be saved. Help us to just take you at your word and do what we're called to do. Keep the main things the main things. And so, Father, I just pray that you would birth or further just evangelistic fervor in people's hearts and lives. That we would know that eternal life hangs in the balance. Heaven or hell hangs in the balance. And that if we don't share, people can't be saved. We have a responsibility to share. We have a gift to share. And so, Father, help us to share. Tear down our fear of man. Replace it with a lofty vision of who you are so that we fear you rightly, reverentially. We, we, we want to see you worshipped and enjoyed. We want the good of our neighbor and the greatest good we can do for our neighbor is helping them to see their need of you and showing them the path of Salvation. Which is not based upon them doing certain rituals. It's just based upon them laying all of that down and receiving you. As king and savior. And so father help us to this. And if there's anyone in this room who's never received this free gift of salvation. Father, open their hearts to believe and repent right now. And walk from spiritual death into spiritual life. For you desire to see people saved. And come to a knowledge of you. And your love and your grace and your mercy and your kindness. And so we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.